Pirates versus Tyrants. This is the Tom Wren Show, where we practice piracy on the enemies of freedom and liberty. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. You know, one of the things that I hear a lot of is how do we fight back? What do we do? What can I do? What can I do? And I I talk about this frequently on the show, but I think it's something that always bears delving into because I don't think you can look at it from too many different perspectives. At the end of the day, people need to fight back in whatever way they can. If you believe in freedom, if you believe in liberty, you've got to understand that it's under attack right now. It's under attack from every direction, every angle, and every mechanism is being used to destroy the nation uh, that is the shining beacon of freedom on the hill that that these uh, tyrants or wannabe tyrants can come up with. So to that extent, uh, you know, I mean, there is a lot that we have to recognize. And it's worth talking about this frequently. And uh, even if there's a little bit of repetition, because it really is a tough thing for people to understand. I'm going to tell you what, uh, what kind of prompted this. There's, there's several things that prompted this, but one of the things that I was you know, really kind of thinking about is I had a, a, a tweet came in last night. And I rarely, rarely, rarely read comments on tweets. Um, or I guess I read them sometimes, but I don't really respond very often. Uh, you know, I really appreciate all the nice comments I get. I, I get a lot of thank yous. I, I usually do kind of read through that, but like you get the trolls and I just don't care. Like literally there is nothing that someone can say to me on Twitter that I'm ever going to care about. If they've got something informative, you know, I'll read that. But generally, I don't really care what anybody thinks of me. If I did, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So, uh, but I was looking through the comments yesterday, and uh, I had a comment from someone who is a, apparently a longtime listener. And I don't have any problems with this person, right? Um, I don't have any problems at all. And I'm not going to mention their name because I'm not trying to beat the person up. I really wasn't. But I responded and I said with no, you know, no intentions of disrespect. But the, the comment said, Mr. Renz, I've been listening to you for years now about whistleblowers, VARES, elections, etc. And I must say I'm tired of listening. Where's the beef? Where's the receipts? Where are the charges? I've lost confidence in your words. And I thought about that. And, uh, you know, I'm not mad at that person. I understand their frustration, right? But I actually, I reposted that tweet. I quoted it and I responded to it. And I, I want to talk about that response because it's really an important thing and it sets the ground uh, ground uh, work or for, for this conversation about lawfare. So I said, I said, I appreciate that you've been listening and mean no disrespect, but what action are you looking for? The government started dropping mandates after we filed the frontline doctor's case. They had to drop them because if we had won, we would have set precedent. And that was a very, very strong case. It was. It was a very strong case. I said, Anthony Fauci stepped down after we filed the EcoHealth case, which is still in court. And uh, we structured that case so that it could be filed a million times. So they can't throw the case out. Even if they do, we we got everyone who has ever had COVID can file that case. So I spent eight months structuring a case that I knew you know, I'll get I'll get a winning off of, but a majority of the winnings from that case will be off the mass torts and the class actions that are filed after it gets a little bit further. Those are common. It takes time to get through that, right? Um, so, but that case caused Fauci to step down. That's the reason you know about the Wuhan labs being the actual origin for COVID. You know, Congress, everybody was trying to cover this up. 
because it was a CIA DOD op. But we got that case out there, and now everybody knows it, and it forced Fauci to step down, right? Uh, in Ohio, in Ohio, you know, they had us locked down. We filed lawsuits. We pushed legislation. We used lawfare. We used it effectively. And, you know, interestingly enough, we had a Republican, which is very, very heavy rhino, but a Republican state house overrode our super rhino Mike DeWine governor's email or a veto to, to pass legislation that limited emergency powers in Ohio. We'll never have to deal with the same sort of emergency again in Ohio because we passed that legislation. I said, I'm not a prosecutor. Well, and then I pointed out, last but not least, I said, our work has contributed to educating the public to the point where the current VAX uptake is around 1.3%. And that's true. So these are, th- these are just a handful of things that I've been involved with. And I don't say that to brag. I'm honored. God's been good to me. He's given me some great ideas, some great opportunity. I've fought like hell. So it wasn't about bragging. So I go on and I say, I'm not a prosecutor, which I'm not. So I'll never be able to file criminal charges, but I'd say there's been more than just some random words. In fact, in light of the fact that I've ran a law firm, pushed media internationally, fought for legislation, started way before any of the other great heroes out there, like, you know, McCullough or Dr. Cole or Steve Kirsch. I mean, these guys are heroes and I have nothing but respect for them, but I was here way before they were. I was the first guy to do this. I started with nothing. I said, I did this before any others. And all that I've done, I've done with total total income and budget from all sources, well under 2 million. I had no connections. I, I'm not a big shot. I'm just some guy from Ohio. And so I said, I'm not sure what you're looking for. You think it's an accident that you don't have to put masks back on or that there are no jab mandates currently by the government. That's not an accident. That's because of what we've done. Not just me. All these heroes were involved. But you know what? I was a part of it. And I started early. And I started first. I said, I'm honored to have done what I, what I did. But I'm a nobody from a little town and haven't slept for three and a half years, which is true. I literally had nothing more when I started than you did. All I did, uh, all I had was nothing. I did, I did all I did with nothing. I said, I'm proud of what we've done and welcome you or anybody else to do more. Uh, Because if someone else does, then I can slow down, right? And I would welcome that. So this post was was really, I didn't mean any disrespect. I didn't mean to brag. I was quite honored to be able to write the things that I wrote. It was very meaningful to me to be able to write those things. It was a very big deal that I've been able to do these things. I, I view it as an act of God. I mean, who the hell am I? But we've had a big impact, right? We have had a major impact. And one of the things I want to point out is when I talked about that, that that tweet, that quote, one of the most profound things about that and it was the fact that I'm a nobody. How does a nobody do this, right? The other thing that you've got to look at is what did a nobody do? Well, we used lawfare. I didn't just file lawsuits, right? I used lawfare. Now, that's what I really want to talk about here. What is lawfare? And the reason I want to talk about it is because everybody can participate. Okay, lawfare is not exclusive to lawyers. There is a role for every member of the public to be involved with lawfare. The question is, are you involved and what are you doing? What will you do, right? I've uh, I've defined lawfare fairly uniquely. And I say that because lawfare as a term is frequently used 
uh, by the med mainstream media. And what they talk about is a bunch of corrupt, uh, crazy garbage lawyers that keep filing suit after suit after suit. Most of the suits are questionable. And they do it to essentially bankrupt or tie someone up to the point that they're they're unable to uh, to function, right? You know, whatever they got to do. This is what they're doing against Trump. All of these garbage shoots that if I would file against a Democrat, I'd lose my license, rightly so, because they're they're brought in bad faith, uh, where they twist laws in ways that they were never meant to be twisted and do all these things that were never meant to be done, all to get to a purpose, not not anything to do with the law. Okay, so that's that's how the left looks at lawfare. What lawfare really is, uh, ethical lawfare, because that's what I do, right? I always, I always try to play by the rules of ethics. Lawfare is a recognition that when people came to me about COVID and said, hey, I want my freedom back, can you sue somebody? They didn't know what they were asking me to do. They just wanted their freedom back, right? They didn't care what the lawsuit was. Nobody cared what counts three through eight in lawsuit number six was. Uh, what they cared about was their freedom, right? And so we have to, so when I did this, when I started fighting, I looked at this differently. I said, well, what, what do you got to do? What is this? How do we get this back? And I looked at the left. How has the left moved a country that was founded on freedom? That you know, the revolution was, you know, one of the motiv most motivating factors was a tea tax that led to the Boston Tea Party. I mean, this is a country based on freedom. and we're not how do you get from a group of people that fight a revolution against the most powerful nation in the world to a nation where they're telling you you got to wear a mask so you don't get a cold now understand that i think this is relevant in part and this is going to be a little going to sound a little braggadocious it's not though i'm honored that this is the case but if you look back in 2020 we had covid we had the election fraud we had uh, you know it led up to j6 we had the beginnings of CBDC. We had all these different things that were occurring, right? Every one of those fights has failed miserably, except for one. The COVID fight has been wildly successful. There are no more masks. There are no more vaccines. When they tried to push masks this, this fall, the, the trending online was hell no. We're never we're doing this again. It just ain't happening, right? So... We won, and we're not done winning, but we're st we're in the process of winning. Um, I don't think we've won this until there's justice, until there's accountability, right? But we're in the process of winning. We're moving in the direction that we have to move. Everything is, you know, it's getting where it's got to be. Not so much in these other fights. What's the difference? Lawfare. Lawfare. Our approach to this was different. We didn't do what they did. And let's use elections, right? So if we look at elections, we had some incredibly good attorneys filing very strong election cases, right? These were cases that in any sane world, you know, but for the corruption, but for problems, many of these cases would have been major victories, right? They're not. Why? What happened? What went wrong? Well, what went wrong is very, very simple. Uh, we brought a knife to a gunfight. We had a bunch of very good lawyers, lawyers who are probably better than me, right? Uh, you know, in terms of pure litigators, pure this, pure that, some of these guys who are filing these suits are incredible. They're very good lawyers, but they got their rear ends kicked. Why? Well, because they were fighting the wrong fight. 
See, lawyers, like everybody else, look at things through the lens of their own profession, right? Everybody looks at the world through their own lens. If you're a lawyer, you look at it that way. If you're a doctor, you look at it that way. If you're a scientist, you look at that. Whatever you are, it whatever you are colors your worldview. And what I've said to the other lawyers and to the people out there, and I hope Trump's legal team is listening, and I hope uh, they're paying attention here. Yes, you have to litigate in court in a very traditional way, right? The, the courtroom is not a place for antics or games. But, but everything else is up for grabs. And I want to challenge any other lawyers listening to consider that maybe just doing the same thing over and over again like we do in law isn't the solution, right? That's the conclusion I came up with early on because I'm looking at these cases and I'm looking at what's happening in COVID and I'm saying, listen, we got all these cases that people are starting to file and they're losing every one. Why? So we, we took a different approach and we use lawfare. And the reason that that really matters is that lawfare doesn't just involve lawsuits. It also involves the push for legislation, which we did in Ohio. It involves the push to educate the public and to get the public involved. That affects everything, right? So when we break down lawfare, I always break it down into legal work, political work, and PR work. Each one of those is different, right? The legal work, uh, there's a lot of little tricks, and I can't give away all my secrets. But what I can tell you is that, you know, when you file a case in a court, you have to have a good faith basis under the law to file that case. Okay, so there's certain standards in the law. And if you're an attorney, you've got to look and figure out what those standards are. And you've got to make sure that the case you're filing adequately meets those standards. Okay, now it's very debatable. There's a lot of wiggle room there. You know, is it a good case, a bad case? Uh, but generally speaking, if you don't have a good faith belief that your case is a good case, you shouldn't put it in the courtroom. It's just that simple. Uh, if you do, however, then you can put it in the courtroom. Now, having a good faith basis for bringing a case does not mean that you believe that the case is an easy win. There's a world of difference. I can bring a very difficult case into the courtroom. I can fight a hard case. It doesn't mean it's unethical just because it's hard. It just means that it's a hard case. Uh, you can also bring an easy case. You know, you can look at some cases you're like, this is a slam dunk victory, right? Doesn't matter. You can still bring it either way. There's a Now, a lot of lawyers don't like to bring the hard cases. Hard cases means that there's a lot of research, a lot of writing. They're complicated. They're typically very expensive. You can't find people who want to pay for them. And with COVID and some of these other things, you know, the science is so heavy and some of the fact patterns are so complex. There are very few lawyers that wanted to do that. And there was no money to do it, right? I mean, the, the, I, yeah, I went back and figured out just one of the cases I caught, uh, filed, had I filed fully for the legal bill, uh, bills, if I had actually charged someone and not just gave away all my work, it would have been over $2 million. I mean, it's just insane. No person can, can afford this. So it, we just gave away all of our work, right? But we, it was a proof of concept. We were showing that lawfare works. And part of lawfare is, in that case, filing certain cases. Now, what did that do, right? So we fought, we filed some very hard cases that were very difficult. And those cases were cases we knew would be uphill in court, but we filed them in good faith because they were based on good law and solid fact patterns. Now, here's the thing about that. 
Some, some cases are winners, some cases are losers. Regardless, when we file a case with a proper pa fact pattern, we're certifying to that court that we've done our due diligence and we believe that our fact pattern is correct based on that due diligence. We have a good faith belief in it. That means that when we file that case and we put those facts in court, if we are lying to the court or if we don't have a good faith reason to believe that our facts are correct, we're in big trouble. All of my cases had extremely complex fact patterns where we, we, we not all of them, but most of them had very complex fact patterns where we were able to show these things. But we had tons of citations, tons of things that we put in there. And all of this work uh, did a lot, made it so it's very hard to sanction us or to say that it wasn't a good case. And it also had another benefit. The mainstream media cannot say that it cannot tell me that I'm lying. If I've done my homework and I've done what's right and I've submitted it to the court and they call me a liar, that's defamation, even if I'm a public figure, because I'm putting my license on the line. I am testifying to this court that I believe in good faith that what I said is true. So there, that, that doesn't, you know, that's defamation per se if the media says that I'm a liar, right? Unless they can back it up. So this is a, this allows us when we file some of these harder cases to get the truth out in ways that you can't. Now it's a tough low lift for a lawyer to do that because we have to go through and understand and be able to explain this very complex science in a way that's, you know, uh, the public and the judge and anybody who's going to read the case are going to be able to actually understand it. So this is the reason you don't see a lot of lawyers using cases like this or filing cases like this because it's incredibly time-consuming, mind-blowingly expensive, and no one wants to pay the lawyers to do it. Again, we just gave away most of our work, but it was effective. But that was only one tool of lawfare, right? We also file, uh, you know, we saw, and I talked to some people who were filing cases that we call low-hanging fruit, right? Easy cases where we knew we could get slam dunk victories. I didn't file as many of those. We did some under the employment law and some here and some there. Uh, but we didn't spend a whole lot of time on those because I was busy on these complicated cases. But those cases also have a huge impact because every victory builds on the other victory. And so we, you set enough precedent, you get things moving. It really creates a disincentive to continue pushing these legal lies that they were pushing related to COVID. So that's the legal part of lawfare, right? I'm going to talk about the political and the PR, but I want to tell you, go to support us in the America Out Loud Network, supporttomrens.com, support the Tom Renz Show and share it everywhere. Go to any of these sites, tomrens.com, America Out Loud, but go buy our book, Mod RNA and Other Essays, or Mod RNA and Why It Matters and Other Essays, right? Mod RNA, Why It Matters and Other Essays. If you search it, it's M-O-D-R-N-A, not Moderna, it's mod RNA. So it's a little hard to find. Uh, Amazon, I think they're getting it straightened out. They were hiding it for quite some time, but it's selling pretty well. We need to keep pushing the pushing the book. It's, it's going to tell you what's in these vaccines. It's going to tell you what's in the food supply, what they're doing with it, how they're trying to poison it. It's very simple, very accessible, and the books are part of lawfare. Uh, we got the CBDC book coming out this weekend. These books are part of lawfare right? These are, we're using these to educate the public and we're using them and we're writing them as tools to hand to lawmakers and ask your lawmakers, read this. It's, it's a 15 minute read and tell me why or why not, why you won't support legislation to deal with the issue. 
that's the point of these books. So help us get these books out there. It's the 404 series. It's a very big deal. We're hoping we can get them everywhere. So please continue to support us on that. Nurses Out Loud Talk Radio want to introduce you to ASEA Redox Cell Signaling Molecules. It is more than just a wonderful natural product. Redox molecules are native to the human body. Redox molecules enable your body to turn on its inner doctor so your body can heal itself the way it did naturally when you were young. Check out americaoutloud.shop, look for ASEA Cell Signaling Molecules Liquid Supplement, and check out Nurse Michelle's recent favorite ASEA product, Renew 28 Revitalizing Redox Gel, because this gel helped get me through some significant muscular pain during my healing process following a recent canoeing accident when I broke my hip. Give it a try for your aches and pains and let Nurses Out Loud hear how your health has improved. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with oxy powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why oxy powder is our number one seller. It worked. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. Uh, let's move on to the political and the PR, right? The political uh, aspect of lawfare is real simple. If we get people educated, we get them fired up, get them motivated. If we're filing lawsuits, and doing different things that put, put people politically at risk. We can motivate them to do things without trying to buy them off. I cannot compete with big pharma lobby money. Not even close. I'm never going to be able to compete with that. Even if we get big, generous donors, we can only do a, a, a small, small fraction of that. So competing with big pharma on their playing field is bringing a knife to a gunfight. We're just, we're going to get slaughtered. So we had to be smart about this. How do you create political pressure? Well, you file lawsuits that create political pressure, right? Now they have to be in good faith and they have to be based on, you know, all the things that you need to file a lawsuit, but a good faith lawsuit brought on behalf of a client who's wronged uh, that's structured properly can also have the impact of illustrating that there's a problem. And then outside of the courtroom, I can talk about that problem. I can talk about why it matters, and I can talk about the potential legislative fixes that would be easy to implement if someone would only do it. We can create political pressure through the use of, of both the courts and educating the public, which is the PR side. That is the key. Then we have to help write bills that are sensible and effective, right? Everybody told me when we pushed House Bill 1169 Missouri that, oh, that's terrible. It's two pages. It needs to be 50 pages. Complex issues. No. 
No, 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 no. They say, you can't write legislation. I did. I absolutely, you know, I worked with Holly and, and the legislation she wrote was that way. It was a two-page bill that everybody could understand. I'm working with other lawmakers in different places on this, right? But this is a crucial aspect of what we're doing. Working with these lawmakers, getting these people going so that they're uh, they're ready to fight. This is absolutely crucial. We've got to arm them with legislation that is politically bulletproof so that they can overcome the lobby money. That's the only way to do it. Because if they if you think you're going to find a brave Republican out there, or a brave Democrat that's going to stand up against big pharma lobby money, forget it. They don't exist. So what we've got to do is make ourselves a bitter, bigger political win than selling out. So that's what we do. So that's done, like I said, through rallying the public, lawsuits, speaking out, all these different things, right? Only two ways to pass legislation. One is public outrage. Two is buy off the elected officials. I'm not into buying anybody off because I think that's wrong but I'm all in for telling people what's happening and letting them fight uh, the good fight the way that they ought to be fighting it, right? So that's a big deal. And that's exactly what we're doing here. Uh, the third po component is really, uh, I think, one of the most important and misunderstood components of the whole thing. And that is PR, public education, whatever you want to call it. It's a motivated and informed public. That is foundational to lawfare, and very few lawyers seem to understand how big of a deal that is. Now, we're not supposed to put political pressure on courts. They're supposed to be politically insulated, and that's a good thing. But if you think that they are, you're insane. Do you really think that the courts were politically insulated on COVID? I have hundreds of pages of documents from the, the internal documents from the federal court system where uh, their administrative you know, oversight group, or the people that run the courts, the administrative people, were getting all this information. They were distributing it to all these judges from the CDC, and it was 100% false. They were lying to and manipulating these judges. They were creating a situation where these judges were, were told things that weren't true, and they were scaring them intentionally. They were using the same tactics that they were on the public, but they were tripling down to scare the judges. Of course they were impacted. Of course they were. Not to mention that every time a judge goes home and turns on the news, he sees the same lies that we see everywhere else. So if you think that the judge wasn't impacted by that, you're lying to yourself. Judges are human. Of course they were impacted, right? So the result of that is there were a number of cases that were thrown out. There were probably okay cases, but they were ruled implausible, right? Implausible. Now, plausibility is kind of its own little standard Basically, it's something that's kind of unspoken, but the courts use it to throw out anything that's usually politically difficult, that seems unlikely, and that they don't want to deal with. You know, if a if 100 million Americans would have said, you know, masks don't work and uh, this is all garbage, the courts would have been far more likely to find a good way to rule against masks. And they were dead, right? But instead, everybody agreed that they were, you know, that's the way to keep safe. So because everybody agreed, yeah, judges are human. They decided it was very implausible that one or two of us who were saying, hey, masks don't work, uh, were, were correct over the consensus view of the CDC and all these other crooks, right? Public knowledge is critical even in the courtroom. 
If the public's aware of things, it can translate into the courts recognizing the plausibility of a theory. That is a very big deal. It, they also impact judges in other ways. One of the great illustrations of this is the gay marriage cases. The gay marriage cases, as public pressure to accept people who are living a gay lifestyle, continued to grow. And I don't care. This is not a commentary on gay straight. I don't care whether you're gay or not. I just don't care about that. Um, you know, that's between you and God at the end of the day. What you do in your bedroom is not my business. But if you're on that that uh, bandwagon, if that's who you are, uh, there was a process through the late 90s and through the 2000s that culminated with uh, the Supreme Court recognizing a, a constitutional right, uh, an implied constitutional right to marry who you want to marry. Um, but a big part of that was the PR push. You remember Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, Will and Grace, all these shows that they put out to, to try and make it more mainstream. If you go back to the 80s and 90s, calling someone gay was a huge insult. Then what we did was they started to humanize this, which is not, not a bad thing. I mean, you shouldn't be mean to people. I'm not a big fan of being mean to people, right? So they started humanizing it, but they made it, so, they made it a thing where it was a very difficult thing to say anything bad or to say that you find it gross or you don't like it about someone who's gay. And that's, I, I don't have a cultural issue with this folks. So mind you, I'm only making this commentary as a lawyer, but as it became publicly no longer acceptable, this is kind of like when, when we dealt with other issues in the past, right? When it became publicly unacceptable, to, to use gay as a slang derogatory term, you saw things, this affect judges as well. So judges would mo moved from, you know, there's just no constitutional right on this because there isn't, to, well, there's no constitutional right, but man, it really sucks because, you know, that's, we shouldn't treat people badly. And they're right, we shouldn't. But there was still no constitutional right. However, because of that, the dicta that was put into the case laws and everything, these cases continued to build on previous cases. We eventually found a way to make their right. And it was largely because of public, uh, I guess, public perception and public uh, pressure. The courts, I think, on that really succumbed to public pressure, for better or worse. Again, I don't care what you think about the issue. That's not my point. My point is to talk about the impact of public pressure on the courts. It's real. Now, it's even more real on the politicians, right? The politicians are all in for being able to steal elections, but they can only do so much, right? You can't steal an election if the public knows it's stolen, at least not if too much of the public knows. I mean, a lot of people are aware of the 2020 election being stolen, uh, but you couldn't, if, if, you know, 300 million Americans agreed it was stolen, trust me, we would have had a different outcome. They didn't. So what happened was what happened. This was one of the key things that was missing in the lawfare and election cases. There was no consolidated or, or effective communication. Now, people are going to say to me who are fighting the election stuff, it was all censored. Yeah, so was COVID. But we got the word out, didn't we? We did. Um, I understand censorship. That's a part of what I deal with every day. I know it's difficult, but you have to work through it. You have to work around it because if you don't, you aren't going to get the word out. So the idea that you can't is not not the issue. It's that you it's a lot more work and it's a lot more expensive and time consuming. But it's like everything else in the freedom fight. If you don't fight for it, you aren't going to get it. It ain't going to work. 
So we have to get around that censorship. We've got to get the word out. But we have to do that to educate the public. When the public realizes that they're being lied to. Now, understand that a key component to the PR aspects of lawfare is that you cannot, you can't, lawfare doesn't work if you're trying to promote a lie, right? The PR aspects of lawfare, there's two ways, there's only one way to sell a lie. You have to spend an immense amount of money making sure that someone is going to keep telling that lie over and over again to so many people that they believe it just by default, right? But the problem is, is that that becomes untenable if the truth comes out at all, right? It has to be complete for it to work. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you tell, if you have a hundred people that you paid a lie and say two plus two is three, that hundred and first person may break and say, okay, maybe it's three, maybe I'm missing something, right? There's been studies on that. There's, they've done experiments to show this, but, and if he does, then the 102nd person is going to be just as likely to go along with it, right? But if somewhere in that 100 people, one person says, no, it's four, everybody else is going to start looking, and the truth is going to resonate, and it's going to burn like wildfire. If the truth gets out at a sufficient level, it'll create a fire that burns across the country, across the world. That's one of the major principles we did. Big Pharma, Fauci, all these guys were lying through their teeth. We knew they were lying. We had the evidence. The key was getting the evidence out at a sufficient level or, or to a sufficient number of people that the lie couldn't stand anymore. That was essential. And that took an immense amount of work. So people say, you're a lawyer, Renz. Why are you on the media all the time? Why are you doing this, ra this radio show? Why are you doing the America Out Loud Network? Why are you doing the podcast? Why are you doing all this? Well, because if I don't, I'm not completing the lawfare. Lawfare is all of these things. I've got to educate the public. If I don't use all three potential op options related to lawfare, I'm not doing my job. So lawfare has to use all of these things, and it has to be done in a coordinated way. You have to know what your lawsuit's going to do politically. You have to know what it's going to do from a PR perspective, and you have to leverage that. You also have, and I'm not saying leverage it in the courts because you can't. But you can leverage it to create public uh, awareness, and you can leverage it to create political pressure. Those are things you can do, right? There's nothing that prevents a lawyer from exercising his First Amendment right. Now, there are limitations if it's going to impact the case, but as long as you're following those ethical guidelines, you're okay. You can also comment on other cases that are not your own. You have total First Amendment rights there, you know? Uh, so this is a very big deal and we can use these things to great effect. And that is what we did. We use this, ta these tactics to great effect. Now there's an immense amount more to this, right? There's ways that you communicate. There's ways that you break the censorship. There's ways that you file things in court. There's ways that you push legislation. There's an immense number of, of, uh, I guess the nuance involved in lawfare is, is extreme, but it's a critical, critical concept that we need to use. When we look at what's happening with Donald Trump, when we look at what's occurring, you know, the left is using lawfare all over. Now they use it unethically because they don't have ethics. So for example, you get the Project 65 lawyers who are out there filing ethics complaints against any lawyer who has the audacity to bring an election suit. That is completely unethical in my opinion. But 
you know, they're, they're doing it and they're getting away with it. And there's, there's enough loopholes for them to get away with it. So it is what it is. Uh, we have to recognize that the left controls the media. So they're controlling this at another. When you ask me for, to, to fight for your freedom, if all I do is a lawsuit, I'm not doing my job. Right now, the laws are screwed up. We have very bad law that's passed in this country. I can't go to court and say, I don't like this law. I don't want you to change it. That isn't what you do in a court. So some of the stuff has to be done in the legislature, and that only happens if the people are fired up or if you buy them off. But I'm not buying anybody off. So we've got to get the people behind us. Uh, you know, they, you have to also recognize what you can and can't do in the courts. The courts are not there to change or alter the law. That is the political process. That is not for the courts. It's not what you can do there. And you're just, you're, you're barking down the, uh, barking up the wrong tree. If that's where you think you're going to go. Uh, if we use these components together, though, we can counter the left massively because the problem is, is the left has to spend way more money defending bad lawsuits and pushing big lies than we'd ever have to to file good lawsuits and push the truth. It's much cheaper to do. So we don't need the we don't need George Soros funding, but we need effective lawyers that understand what's happening. We need effective PR and uh you know, public relations people. We need people who understand the political realm and we got to get that going. The reason all this is important is because this is what works. We've shown that it works. It's worked in COVID, but there's room for everybody to participate. Everybody. You don't have to be a lawyer to push for legislation. You may need a good lawyer to help you write it, but you don't need to be a lawyer to push for it. You don't need to be a lawyer to call your elected officials. You don't need to be a lawyer to get a, to get a group together in your community and start pushing for change. Maybe it's local change. Maybe it's state. Maybe it's national. But you can push. You don't have to be a lawyer to do that. You don't have to be a broadcaster to start a podcast. You don't have to be a broadcaster to get your group going and speak to them. You don't have to be a professional speaker. You don't have to be any of these things. All you've got to do is be willing, and you've got to put in the work. That's how we make the change. That's how we get to freedom. We, the people, look at, I am literally a nobody. You've been looking at the same background if you've been watching me for three and a half years. This is my real office, right? This is where I do 90% of my work, right? There's nothing special. There's nothing fake about it, right? I mean, you can even see behind me. I need to, I need to do a little bit of painting work on my shelves, right? Uh, nothing fake or unreal about it. You don't have to be a superhero. You don't have to be special. You just got to be smart about it. So I'm telling you to do these things because they work, folks. And if you get active on it, it can have a huge impact. We just got to get we the people fighting and active. It doesn't matter how. Even if you're just sharing my tweets or my Facebook or my whatever, Truth Social or whatever post I'm doing, even if you're just hitting share. Okay, so any of you guys, I don't know, any of you guys live streaming, hit share. Right? Is that a big deal? Uh, you know, hit invite. Uh, you know, I mean, that's not a hard thing to do. But if you don't do it, what are you doing? The little things that we can do to educate people are everything and to get people involved. Because whether one thing I will tell you, the legal and the political both depend on we the people. All law is a manifestation of the will of the public. And we either get it together and fight for our freedom together, or it doesn't matter what any lawyer or any politician does because they aren't going to win it alone. Support the America Out Loud Network. Support the Tom Wren Show. Support us in all of our work. 
go buy the book, Mod RNA and Other Essays and Why It Matters, or Why It Matters and Other Essays. Mod RNA, Why It Matters and Other Essays, okay? Buy the book. It's on TomRens.com. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. It's all over the place. Get the book. Send it to every elected official you can find and ask them what they're going to do about it. Watch for a CBDC book. It's coming out this weekend. Uh, it should be fully available by next week. CBDC book, really critical issue. Uh, keep listening. We'll be right back. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution, the miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Hey everybody, welcome back and welcome to the Stack O Stuff. Stack of stuff is really uh, diverse today. We got all sorts of topics, just, I mean, literally all over the place. And I want to start out with uh, the UN, right? Uh, I think Rush used to describe the UN as being similar to the, uh, the Star Wars bar scene. Just a bunch of crazy looking things that don't even make sense together, right? And I, I don't disagree with his assessment there. I think it's 
It's a mess. So anyways, uh, headline, Iran to head UN Human Rights Forum weeks after its beneficiary butchered Israelis, right? So Iran, who is a major, major supporter of Hamas, who probably provided the guns, the weapons, and the, the supplies and everything else they needed to go in and murder the Israelis, uh, is somehow going to be heading up the UN Human Rights Forum. I mean, this is like a bad joke, folks. What, what can I say about this? Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know that the, this is a story that there's very little to say, right? You have a state sponsor of terrorism. I mean, they literally, yeah, I mean, they, they execute people who are gay in Iran. I mean, they're just, they're just, it's a horrible place. They do horrible things. They support terrorists. They support whatever. And they are somehow leading the human rights forum. One of the greatest abusers of human rights in the world is somehow in charge of the human rights forum. Uh, again, no more commentary. There's nothing else to say on this, folks. All right. Uh, DOJ official asked Google for personal relationship as SCOTUS weighs Biden censorship case, right? So the corrupt Department of Justice, uh, the most corrupt Department of Justice in our American history, I believe, has uh, has gone over to Google and said, hey, we got to have a personal relationship with you guys. Uh, you guys, and then this uh, Aspen Institute, which according to the article is a big, a big pusher of censoring free speech. Um, we got to have personal relationships, uh, public-private partnerships. We got to work together to censor Americans. That's what they're pushing. Meanwhile, we got Missouri v. Biden, you know, working through the Supreme Court. And, uh, you know, it's going to, Hopefully, the Supreme Court will say no. You can't. Uh, you can't. Censorship's no good. You can't do that. You know there is a First Amendment. Uh, I don't see how the, the the Supreme Court can rule otherwise on this. Right. This case is so egregious and so blatant and so straightforward. Uh, there's no way, in my mind, that the SCOTUS can rule against uh, Missouri in this case uh, and the states. I mean, this is just an unprecedented thing that's occurred over the last few years, the censorship. I will tell you this. It's the most important case out there right now on a lot of fronts. Uh, without, without a win on this case, we are screwed going forward, folks. We are absolutely screwed. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't really think there's any real good argument to be made that the government's allowed to censor you through someone else. And that's exactly what they're doing. So... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, we'll see what happens with this case, but it's a critical, critical case. Uh, you know, I mean, the censorship is the reason that COVID did what it was did. It's the reason so many people are now dying from the vaccines because everybody knew early on that these were poison. Uh, it's just, you know, we couldn't get the word out. You know, we, I mean, we knew very early, but you know, we we couldn't get the word out because of all the censorship. So anyway, hugely important case. You really need to keep an eye on this one. We'll see what the SCOTUS does on it, but I'm pretty hopeful. Pretty hopeful. So headline Liberty Daily. Uh, folks, cover, you know, if you get virgin ears, cover them. Headline, Sodom and Gomorrah update. Elite University Sex Week events include anal 101 and strap-on workshop. Really? Harvard. I'm not joking. This is Harvard, right? So... Anybody, yeah, you pay $900 million a year for your kid to go to Harvard. And what do you get? Well, you get a sex week. And there, during sex week, you can take classes like anal 101, 
uh, which, I mean, who doesn't need to know that if you're going to live in Washington, right? It actually makes sense, right? So I think that the Kennedy School uh, is probably putting on the anal 101 workshop because, you know, a lot of public policy people and, and politicians come out of the Kennedy School. So my guess is that they're teaching them how to perform anal on the American public. Oh, man, did I just say that? Wow. Uh, but I mean, they've got, they've got literally have anal 101 here. Um, the week is hosted by sex ed, uh, and by Harvard college students, uh, whatever, something, something. And yeah, it's just, uh, they have a, a wonderful class called caring for your coochie, healthy Volvo vaginal practices. Uh, another one called I Can See Queerly Now, Demystifying LGBTQIA Plus Intimacy. And uh, another one called A Different Toy Story, Sex Toys 101. This is Harvard, folks. They're preparing every student to, to uh, get tied. They're preparing them for a life in Washington, right? These these guys are going to, this is, you know what? At first, when I saw this, I was kind of outraged and thinking, you know, really, you're going to send your kids pay this money? But, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think that all they're doing is preparing the next group of people for Washington. This is all about Washington. This is perfect. It ain't a 101. It's what they do to the public all the time. Oh, man. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure someone's going to yell at me about this segment. Uh, I, I think this one might have crossed a line somewhere. Um, but folks, these aren't my words. This is just what's happening. This is how far our country has fallen, right? You may be embarrassed or outraged by me talking about this, but I didn't do it. I'm just reporting it, folks. This is what's happening. And if you think this is bad, you should see what's happening in your elementary schools. I've looked at the books that they're putting in your elementary schools, and I can't talk about those. Do you know anything I said here? If any of this embarrasses you or bothers you, understand that it's a fraction of what elementary students are being exposed to. It's just unbelievable. We, we just, we, we've gone off the deep end. Uh, all right. Headline, banks closing across San Francisco area, often without warning. So a bunch of local bank branches are closing in San Francisco because the city is uh, collapsing and crumbling. You know, crime, homelessness, drug epidemic, places of disaster. So all these bank uh, branches are closing, which, you know, I mean, that's, how's that a surprise, really? I mean, you have a poop app. No matter what happens in San Francisco that's bad, I will always come back to the poop app. If you have to have a poop app, to know where there's human poop on the ground in your city. Yeah, I'm expecting business closures. You know, a, a lot of them, including bank branches. I just, you have a poop app, San Francisco. What do you expect? All right. Uh, in related headline, world's largest offshore wind farm developer abandons two major U.S. projects as renewable, renewable uh, bust erupts. Why is that related? Well, it's related because these banks are closing because of the decline, or the economic decline in America due to the Joe Biden economic policies. The Biden economy is a disaster. And it's so bad that it's actually going to shoot itself in the foot because now these guys are recognizing interest rates and supply chain problems and all these different things as a reason that they can't do go forward with these offshore wind uh, farms, right? 
they're, they're a terrible idea. They don't work well. Wind generators are broke all the time. They're expensive. They're hard to maintain. They're awful. They don't work. Um, you know, even as a kid, my dad even had windmills. And they were always a disaster. I mean, they, they just broke all the time. The solar worked okay. Dad had some solar and some windmills because he is really into that stuff. And uh, the solar worked pretty solid. But the windmills, I mean, they broke every so often. And they just are pain to fix. They're way up on a tower. There's just nothing good about it. It's just the, the technology is not there. There is no renewable energy uh, in wind and solar that, that's actually working right now. And, you know, anybody that tells you otherwise is a liar. So anyways, but yeah, Biden's economy is so bad that it's now torpedoing his uh, green energy projects. I wonder what he's going to say when Harari calls him up and yells at him about it in Klaus Schwab. All right. Oh, this is great news, guys. Uh, you don't have to worry about the security situation anymore because headline Fox 9, Pentagon announces new nuclear bomb 24 times more powerful than the one dropped on Japan. Well, that's great. Now we're all safe. I wonder how much we spent on this, and I wonder why. I mean, we're, we're well past the point where if we get into nuclear war, there's going to be any, any planet left. Well, we got to keep making them bigger? I mean, don't we have enough? Shouldn't we be working on, like, I don't know, better weapons rather than just bigger? I, mean, I, I guess, you know, I'm a, I'm a dude, so I like anything that goes boom. I like watching things blow up, but, you know, it's a nuke. It's made for killing people. I don't want to watch that. I mean, it might be fun to watch it from, you know, like 20 miles away in a desert test. But then you, you still got all the radiation fallout, all the things. I mean, I, there's just no reason. It's not even fun to watch. There's, there's no good reason for this. What the hell are you going to do with a, uh, a nuke that's that, that powerful other than, you know, destroy the world? I don't need that. So anyways, I don't know. I'm just not super excited about that project. Plus, you know, if you want that nuke to work, you got to get it to wherever it's going to go. The Chinese and Russian defense systems are getting way better because we stole, they've stolen all our technology. Biden has you know, sold out all our military tech to China and Russia and Obama before him. So, I mean, hell, be interesting to see how you get that bomb anywhere that you might need to drop it. Anyways, all right, so I got two related stories. Senate party, Senate Uniparty rejects Speaker Johnson's bill. So the new uh, Speaker, Mike Johnson, he had a bill to separate funding from Ukraine and offset uh, the $14.3 billion in Israeli aid with cuts to the IRS budget. This is a sensible bill to me, right? Very sensible. Separate it out because who the hell cares about the Nazis in Ukraine? And then offset it with cuts to the IRS because, honestly? Who likes the IRS? Is anybody okay with that? So, yeah, I, this is a good bill to me. But uh, the the Democrats, Ben Cardin, Democrats, said that, uh, you know, not, not funding the IRS, the 80,000 IRS agents who are going to attack small businesses and poor people, that's a no-go. Uh, you don't fund them. We're not doing anything. So that's that. That's not, just not going to work. And then, uh, you know, I mean, the thing about it is, is as bad as this is, uh, you've got the Uniparty, Biden, uh, I'm sorry, you know, well, Biden's part of it, uh, McConnell's part of it, and all these rhino just pieces of garbage that are out there that want to have Ukraine in there because these guys love the Nazis. Rhino, rhino McConnell and uh, Rhino Murkowski, uh, all these, they love Nazis. 
They just keep they keep sending money to the Ukraine where they have Nazis in their military. And I don't understand why these guys love the Nazis so much, but they do. I've never seen people so excited about the Nazis. They're just we're oh, we can't break this apart. We've got to have the money going to Ukraine because we gotta fund those Nazis. Why? Why the hell do we gotta fund Nazis? What is Ukraine to us? Hell, as far as I'm concerned, Russia can have the damn place. I don't want it. What are we going to do with it? I mean, have you seen, has anybody even seen Zelensky's little dance show thing, the old clips? Uh, anyway, so speaking of the Uniparty, uh, Josh Hawley put in a bill to, to reverse Citizen United so the Democrats can't keep using uh, Soros money and you know big pharma money, all these different things, to control our elections and our politics. And, uh, well, it's dead on arrival. And one of the, the leading uh, people opposing this is Senate Minority Leader E.D. Mitch McConnell. Yeah. McConnell is 100% against this. He doesn't want Republicans winning, especially mega Republicans. So he needs to make sure there's a lot of money there. McConnell's the biggest sellout in the Senate. But this is Uniparty. The Democrats, McConnell, they all, they're all they on the same page, right? They can't. They don't want that gravy train shut off. Hell no, they don't. So, you know, uniparty everywhere. I mean, it just, you know, they won't die. Until we get rid of McConnell and some of these other guys, it's not going to die. Looking at you, Kentucky. It's just down there. All right. Last but not least, Fauci Lab in Montana experimented with COVID strain, uh, shipped it from Wuhan a year before COVID pandemic began. Yeah, well, they already had COVID back in mid-20-teens and, Yes, they created it and move on. And yes, Fauci funded it. And so, anyways, but it was here too. That's not a surprise. All right, folks, go get the book Mod RNA, Why It Matters, and Other Essays. Mod RNA, Why It Matters, and Other Essays. Go buy that book. Get it in the hands of every elected official you can. Watch for our new book, CBDCs. It's coming out this weekend. You got to know these two issues, they're critical. They're critical. So get these books, get them in your hands, and get them to everybody you can find. Share them. Share the America Out Loud Network, Tom Wren Shows. Share TomRens.com. 